0: I was actually looking ahead a little bit about where we're going. We're going to Galatians, and it reminded me of the battle that Paul is in. Boy, it really comes to focus in Galatians, but it's happening here to the Corinthians. It's it's kind of like an all-out battle for the hearts and minds of these precious sheep of the Lord, and Paul's right in the middle of it. And a little bit of review. The super-apostles, they named themselves, false teachers, actually, Judaizers, trying to mix the law and grace, and it's like oil and water, it doesn't mix. They're saying that Paul's teaching, he's, he's too simplistic. Just Jesus, that's not enough. Paul's response, remember what his response was? First Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 2, from the message, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. That's Paul. But they kept boasting. They kept coming after Paul. Paul doesn't know the deeper spiritual things of the Lord and his law, like we do. You need our knowledge to become spiritual like us, they were saying. Paul's response to that boasting? Well, here, here we go. Chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. In other words, the last thing in the world I want to do, or I think can really help anybody, Is for me to be boastful, but I'm being forced in this in in this context. I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. The teachers were under these false teachers were undercutting Paul's authority. He's a lightweight, too simplistic, no depth, no real substance. What does he know? Well, Paul says, "Let me tell you what I know." Look at verse 2. I know. I know a man in Christ. Now, Paul, too embarrassed to even mention that it was him. He, the last thing he wants to do is boast. But I, I know a man in Christ. Fourteen years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. So that just gives you a clear idea. It was Paul he says i it, it, it was so real that i could have been in my body i could have i could have been in my resurrected body it's, it was that real but god knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven and i know such a man whether in the body or out of the body i don't know god knows well from the book of Acts, chapter 14, we realize about 14 years earlier, Paul was left dead after being stoned. Uh, They stoned him in the city of Lystra, drug him out, and left him for dead. The brothers and sisters came around him and prayed for him, and God says, I got more for you to do, Paul. And he hopped up and he went back into that city And then the next morning he went further on, but then he comes back around to that city in that first missionary journey. You're not going to keep a good man down. That was Paul. Uh, So Paul's in this school of hard knocks, learning about Jesus, and this was a field trip that the Lord took him on. He took him to heaven. Verse 4. How he was caught up into paradise, the third heaven. Well, the Bible talks about three heavens. There's the heavenly skies that we see, the blue skies. There's the heavens of the stars in the universe. But then there's the third heaven that's the dwelling place of God. And that's heaven itself. And Paul says, I went through the blue sky, through the stars. I ended up in heaven itself. He says, and after he was stoned, Paul didn't enter a state of nothingness. He immediately was in the presence of the Lord, immediately. Just a couple things about heaven and what happens to believers when they sleep in the Lord, when, when we pass away, we go immediately to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.8, is to be present with the Lord immediately. You, you step from this life right into eternity with the Lord. Hallelujah. What a great, that, that'd be one big step for mankind, wouldn't it? What, Paul, Paul says immediately. And heaven is real. Paul was there, and he testifies about it. And Paul's uh, story, gospel, is Christ. All who are in Christ, as Paul was, they're clothed in Christ's righteousness. And that's how we get into heaven. We're clothed with his perfect life and righteousness. It's not us. Is what Christ has done for us. And so he gets into the third heaven, and we go on to verse 4, and he says, I heard inexpressible words. And then he says, it's not lawful for a man to utter. I don't know exactly what he meant there. It may mean that the Lord told him, uh, keep this under your hat. Keep this to yourself. Or it may mean that it was so so out of bounds, so unbelievable, that he didn't have words to express. We, we don't know for sure. But it was impossible for him to describe whether he was told not to or he just couldn't. I suggest that whatever Paul experienced, it so affected his life, he had a sneak preview of eternity and believe me Paul would from then on would say to everyone he met you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss it you don't want to not go there Jesus Christ loves you he died for you turn your life over to him Paul was so fired up about the Lord he writes in 1 Corinthians two nine, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But Paul says, I saw it. I saw it up close and personal. But I but I can't tell you, it's beyond my ability to tell you or the Lord. The Lord won't let me. Not sure. Well, he goes on. Now, we get to verse 5. Now, that's somebody that can boast. (laughs) Of such a one I will boast. Paul is saying. These false teachers, they're boasting about their knowledge and themselves. But this is something to boast about, what the Lord did for this man. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. And and Paul's drawing a line there. He's saying, the only thing I want to boast about is my walk with the Lord and what he's done for me. For though I might desire to boast, verse 6, I won't be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Do you hear the tension there? as Paul's wrestling with how to deal with these false teachers and what to say and what not to say and Paul's struggle. He says, I don't I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about the Lord. I want to talk about how the Lord took this this guy to heaven and that, and that it's real and that Everything that he said about who he was is absolutely true. It's the gospel truth. And I love the Lord. I want my life to glorify him. I don't want people looking at me. I want others to see Jesus in my life, Paul is saying. And then I want them to be drawn closer to him. Paul gives a testimony to his young protege, young Timothy, in First 1 Timothy 1.15, and he talks about himself and what Christ has done for him. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. Me? I needed Christ more than anybody else. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And basically, bottom line, Paul is saying, if the Lord loved me and saved me, he could love and save anybody. And others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And he goes, the honor and the glory and the prestige, where does that go? Verse 17, to God, to God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. He, and I believe he's speaking of his Savior, Jesus, here. He is the King Eternal, the Unseen One who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Well, that was, that's Paul's heart. And we're seeing it here as he's writing to the Corinthians, aren't we? Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, literally to beat me up, lest I be exalted above measure. On this Heavenly field trip that Paul went on. Ah, uh, the Lord then allowed a messenger of Satan to begin to bring Paul back down, almost literally. Think about this. What's the reason that Satan was cast out of heaven? Pride, arrogance. So, Mr. King of Pride and Arrogance is allowed to beat up on Paul and attack Paul, God so huge that he can use Satan's pride and arrogance to produce in Paul a humility and Christlikeness. And Paul is saying, that's exactly what's happening in my life. And I'm okay with that. Every attack, accusation, and punch that Satan throws at Paul, well, it just pushes Paul closer to Jesus. And he's more in love with Jesus than ever. And Paul knows this, and he says, and we all know this, Romans 8.28, We know that all things God works for good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. See, Paul's the man that experienced this and knows this, and he's the one that penned those words, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. What was that thorn in the flesh? Well, a lot of ideas about that. But the bottom line is, Paul never says, and we don't know. What we do know is the word translated thorn is the word for a huge Bedouin tent stake, 18 inches long, to hold down tents in the fierce desert winds. No wonder Paul pleaded for the Lord to take that away. Concerning this thing, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's prayer was passionate. He pleaded for the Lord to take away this massive thorn in the flesh. Initial prayer that he, that he had three times, Lord, I need to escape this suffering. I need out from under, this problem, it's, it's, it's tearing me apart, this burden. But Paul would learn there's two ways of escape with something like this that we are going through. One way can be the Lord taking it away, removing it. Another way is by the Lord strengthening the shoulder of having to carry the burden of whatever it might be. Instead of taking away the thorn, God's grace would strengthen Paul to bear the load. Exactly how does the Lord strengthen his kids to bear up under issues and problems and thorns that come into our lives? How does he go about doing that? Well, I love what Jesus said recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And I believe that this is how he has chosen to strengthen us when we have these needs. He says this, Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Paul was pushed into the arms of Jesus by that messenger from Satan. Isn't that crazy? But that's the way it works. Satan attacks. We turn to the Lord, and the Lord loves us and lifts us up. And he helps to bear the burden. And we sense his strength and his presence in our life like we've never sensed before. Paul found Jesus to be more than sufficient to co-bear his burden. Paul was never alone. Listen to Paul's testimony as we finish verse 9. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And Paul says, I felt the Lord himself. I felt Him resting in my life, even upon my life, giving me life, even in these circumstances that were so difficult. The Lord said to Paul, you asked me to take away the pain to solve the problem, to get you out of the situation, but that's not what you needed, Paul. The Lord was saying to Paul, what you need is me. Every problem You're seeking to get away from a situation that you desire to get out from under is the very one, Paul, that's causing you to come to me like you've never come before and spend time with me and learn to depend upon me. Paul, you'll be stronger when you're weak because you'll have no other choice than to come to me and find my strength for your life. You'll do better when you're weak because you'll have to rely upon me. So Paul says, I get it. <laughs> and because I know how much you love me, Lord, and and you're in the process of causing all these things that I'm going through to work together for my good, and not only for my good, but for the good of those around me. That you're sending me to minister to. I'm all in. I'm I'm 100%. I'm your man. That was what Paul was saying here. Therefore, Paul says. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Reproaches. In needs. Persecutions. Distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, oh, then I find his strength. Christ rests upon me. It's a pleasure, Lord, to have this thorn. <laughs> I'm thinking, what a statement from Paul. Wow. As Paul prayed, God gave him a totally new attitude. Many of us have been there, haven't we? How I have found myself in different situations, moaning, groaning, complaining, and the Lord speaks to my heart, and all of a sudden I go, hey, wait a minute, I have the Lord. He's with me. And my whole attitude completely changes. Paul knows more of Jesus' love and intimacy and power in his life than he ever could have in any other way. This is a true story. A baby was doctored by a doctor as he treated her eye disease. He did it incorrectly, and it ultimately caused this little one to go blind in both of her eyes. She would never see again. But this is what she said of her blindness. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for this dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. I want to see my Savior, first of all. (laughs) When I can see, that's what I want to see. I want to see him. And as a child of eight, she wrote some amazing words. And this is what she wrote. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Well, who was that little girl? Well, it was Fanny Crosby. And she wrote over 8,000 hymns of praise and worship to her King and her Savior. Tell me the story of Jesus redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, all the way my Savior leads me. And, Doug, did we see that she also wrote the old rugged cross? The old, my favorite hymn as a child, the old rugged cross. Wow. Well, <clears throat> Paul's testimony, I put that together, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to me, I pleaded with him, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I'm all you need. My strength is made perfect in weakness. For Christ's sake, Paul says, I'll delight in weaknesses. For when I'm weak, why, that's when I'm the strongest. Paul goes on, verse 11. I have become a fool... In boasting. (laughs) You've compelled me. You've backed me into a corner. I have no choice. I love you guys so much that I will do anything for you to come to know Christ. Where was I? For I ought to have been commended by you For in nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Do you you, you see Paul's struggle there? He's going, because the Lord has chosen me and sent me to you, I'm I'm an apostle. And I'm not behind anybody because I belong to the Lord. And yet, Me, I'm nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished, verse 12, among you, with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And the signs and wonders and mighty deeds were done in their presence. They were the divine evidence that Paul was sent from Jesus himself to this church. They were pointed to Jesus. They didn't point to Paul. They pointed to the fact that Jesus was in Paul and was sending Paul. Paul says, I'm nothing. It wasn't about me. The gifts, they did flow. The miraculous signs, they did happen. Paul didn't boast about them or focus on them. Why? Because I think Paul knew better than anybody else could possibly know that miracles and signs and wonders don't produce faith. What do they produce? Most of the time, simply a hunger for more. You you just never get enough of that. The children of Israel, a nation, saw signs and wonders like this world has never seen before. But as they were going through the desert, most of them all but Two died of unbelief in the desert sands signs and wonders don't produce faith and Paul says he pins to the Romans in Romans 10 faith faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from... Preaching the word, reading the word, studying the word, applying the word, living the word, devouring the word, falling in love with the word, encouraging one another with the word. All about Jesus. That's why Paul spent his life laboring and working, making tents, so that he could have the privilege of sharing the good news the word of Jesus Christ with those that the lord was sending him to verse 13 for what is it for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that i myself was not burdensome to you forgive me for this wrong <laughs> that i didn't take money from you to minister to you that that i worked during the day and then would teach and be with you at night. For the third time, I'm ready to come to you. Verse 14, I will not be burdensome to you. I'm going to come the same way. Nobody's going to take that away from me. For I do not seek yours, but I seek you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. See, Paul was their spiritual father. He had led them to Christ. He had founded the church in Corinth. Unlike the super apostles, he says, I'm not interested in your stuff. I'm just interested in you. Verse 15. And I will very gladly spend of my own, myself, and be spent for your soul. I will most gladly give everything I have for you, though the more abundantly I love you he he's kind of saying it seems like the less I'm loved i I don't understand you guys, but be that as it may, I did not burden you nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning well there he's. He's quoting what the super apostles are saying about him. They're saying, oh, Paul's setting you up for the big take. You see? He's trying to make you trust him because he's doing all this for you, but when you least expect it, he's going to turn around and he's going to grab everything you got. See? Paul says, that's crazy. Verse 17. That's crazy. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Whose steps were those, by the way? Jesus' steps. They were following Jesus. Again, do you think that we excuse them? Ourselves to you. We speak before God in Christ. We do all things beloved. Everything we've said, everything we've done, every tent we made, every day that we worked our fingers to the bone that we might be able to minister to you, it was for your edification. It was to build you up. We have no ulterior motive. We just want to be a blessing to you in ministry. And ministry, true ministry, being sent by Jesus to minister to his sheep is to bring joy, the joy of the Lord, to their lives. And this is the philosophy of ministry that we strive for and we hope for at Open Gate. I love Pastor Chuck's encouragement in this. He's, I've adopted him as my pastor, you know. And so this is the philosophy upon which we founded Calvary Chapel. To give to the people. To minister to the people. We're here to give. And that's the basic philosophy behind the ministry. It's a scriptural philosophy from Jesus himself. And it was borrowed from Paul. We seek to build you up. We want you to be the best loved sheep and the best fed sheep possible. And then we believe the Lord will take care of all the other things that need to be taken care of. Don't you love that? I love that. So Paul finishes this chapter with a promise. Now, some would take this as a warning. But it's not a warning. Paul says... I'm not going to give you a warning. I'm going to give you a promise. And the promise is, this is going to happen. (laughs) Okay? When I come, the mess that those super apostles have created, it's going to get cleaned up. I promise you. Well, here we go. Verse 20. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish. And that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. (laughs) Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Whoa, what a terrible way for a, a, a church to act. Lest when I come again, verse 21, my God will humble me among you. I'll I'll be be in tears because of what's going on in the church. And I will mourn for many who have sinned and have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Well with the super apostles and the false teachers came pride who we are, how wise we are, how great our teaching is, the pride that follows the law actually produces these contentions, verse twenty jealousies, outbursts of outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings. Conceits, tumults, uncleanness, fornication, lewdness. Ballverde, one of my favorite uh, commentators, said this, while the legalistic bent of the false apostles might be thought to quash the sins of the flesh, in other words, you start obeying these rules and regulations and you'll get it under control. He notices this, The sad truth is that legalism and immorality are frequent bedfellows. Legalism never truly changes anybody's heart. Only the grace of Jesus can change a heart. That would be the humble (coughs) grace of Jesus. And remember, that's who's resting upon Paul. Jesus. Because Paul has no other option rather than to just totally rely on Jesus with his whole life. And so when Paul comes, here comes Jesus right with him. And the humble grace of Jesus, Paul promises this is what it will produce. Not contentions, but love is kind. Not jealousies, but love does not envy. Not outbursts of wrath, but love does not behave rudely. Not selfish ambitions, but love does not seek its own. Not backbitings, but love is not provoked. Not whisperings, but love thinks no evil. Not conceits, but love is not puffed up. Not tumults, but love suffers long. Where do you find that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13. Not uncleanness, but goodness. Not fornication, but faithfulness. Not lewdness, but self-control. Where do you find that? Why? The gifts of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit. Galatians 5. So, we close this chapter. The problem is simple. The Corinthians lacked Jesus. But here comes Paul. And who's coming with him? Jesus. Watch out, you guys. I think Good things are going to happen every time when you bring Jesus right into the middle of everything. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Paul. Um, I'm looking forward to the day. I know I'll have to stand in a long line, but I'll have eternity to, to wait to see and to meet this man. Oh, how he loved you. And oh, how you shine through him. And Lord, that's our desire as your church that you would fill our hearts with your love and your presence and that people would be able to see Jesus not us and see the hope and the future that you bring and Lord I believe we're just scratching the surface of the ministry that you want us to have in this community. Lord, help us, like Paul, to be absolutely sold out to you, your mercy and your grace and your truth. And we look forward to what you're going to accomplish in the days ahead. For We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight.